Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Do you feel a sense of comfort and security when you think about your heritage? Do you feel a sense of connection with a long line of ancestors? Are you sad about traumatized family members you never even got to know? Are you grateful for the enormous and traumatic sacrifices your parents or other ancestors made for you to have a better life? Connection is one of those funny things, essential to humans, but some of us start out with traditions of connection that others don't. Sometimes that connection is through culture or location or some other form of identity. Being third culture means your experience is radically different um, from that of your parents. It, when I say culture here, I'm talking about heritage, race, language, or an ethnicity-based culture of some kind. Usually you're so culturally different from your parents, they don't really understand why you're not the child they thought you were, and society doesn't quite understand why you can't just be more like them. According to Internation, quote, a third culture kid is a child who has spent a considerable part of their life or years of development specifically outside of their parents' culture, end quote, but that just doesn't do it justice. Have your parents ever come right out and questioned your ethnic identity or maybe asserted you aren't authentically yourself? Since I'm mixed, I'm not even of the same heritage as my parents exactly. It's it's almost an additional separation from just being a third culture child. I'm not entirely of my father's British heritage, nor of my mother's Tamil heritage. I've definitely heard on multiple occasions of how I'm not an Indian son. <sighs> being mixed is a very complicated experience, but you don't have to be mixed to be third culture. Ash, for example, isn't mixed. He's Tamil through and through and yet raised in Canada. But what does that mean about your relationship with your parents? with your friends, with your culture, your country, your home? Let's find out together with Ash here on Intimate Interactions. Welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with my friend Ash, who is a recovering addict who's been in recovery for about 10 years now. Um, Ash, how long have you been sober? Uh, a year and some change. Fucking crushing it. A whole year. Good for you. October 14th. So like that was just a few months ago. Nice. So <laughs> a year and some change. 
So I wanted to talk about intergenerational trauma, lol, um, and, <laughs> and just talk about what it's like to be kind of a third culture child in a sense. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> uh, South Indian kid who is South Indian racially and then born in Fiji, but never lived there and grew up in Canada. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's definitely strange. It's like trying to explain that to people is very hard. It's a bit of a mind fuck. Yeah. Just trying to explain that like you're an Indian person from Fiji and that just trying to explain that one little bit to somebody is hard. Trying well, to explain that to it is pretty tough too. It kind of blows me away how, and I mean, we both grew up in Ladner, British Columbia, Canada. So in other words, the, um, <laughs> the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam people. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. which of course was colonized by white folks and populated by white folks and all the people they brought with them. So it's just really hard to explain to people what it's like growing up in a culture that is predominantly white is white centering for sure. But then like I'm an even different kind of head case, <laughs> if you don't mind me using the term um, from you, because I have a white dad, which is like yeah. in some respects, like, you, you can't even compare them. Cause like in some respects, he's way better, right? Like I didn't have to deal with a lot of the like hardcore kind of like, physical discipline that you had to deal with like my dad like hit me when i was young and then at a certain point he was like oh man my dad hit me so much i can't hit you anymore and yeah. in brown cultures that that shit doesn't happen it's like my dad hit me so much i'm gonna hit you even more yeah it's like a sign of weakness <laughs> <laughs> it's a sign of weakness right there's like what you can't hit your kids you're weak like and yeah like that's that's hard to explain no, to people that that's like that slave slave and master mentality mm -hmm. right and from uh sorry i was covering the mic there a little bit that passed down from their ancestors like i don't know i guess like their parents parents right like it just mm -hmm. they were treated when they went to Girmit. No, that that's what that's what that means. Interestingly enough, I actually me and my sister found out what that word actually the origin of that word. Mm -hmm. So in uh, just a little yeah, go for it. Side note: um, in Fijian Hindi, I like to call it. It's basically like slang. It's basically like I mean, I mean, if you really want to. Compared to something North American, it would be considered some pretty shitty trailer park, white trash English, you know, like it's like a not respected dialect. It's just it's just it's a lot of garble, man. Like if I were to speak this Hindi to somebody speaking proper Hindi, they would fucking be like, what are you saying to me, man? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's kind of like if you think about Pidgin English and like the way that a lot of languages changed in the Caribbean. Yeah. Pidgin English. Yeah. So I, I don't even, I don't even know if that's the politically correct term for it. It's, it's the only term I know for it. And then there's also Creole for French as well. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, a couple friends who, or had, have, know people, I guess, they speak Creole too. I didn't even know that was a language. That was interesting. I didn't know that there was a Caribbean form. I mean, sorry, Fiji, Fijian's not Caribbean at all. It's It's in Oceania, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. South Pacific, yeah. My mistake. Yeah. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Um, so, like, uh, we have, like, I like to call it Hinglish. So, right. like, there's, like, like, certain English words that are said in a Indian or yep. Hindi style. Yep. Right? Like, so, like, sometimes, like, they wouldn't be, they weren't able to actually say the English word, the Indian people. So, they would just say something that sounded like it. Right? So, right. agreement is actually agreement. It's really agreement that the indentured slaves signed or whatever whatever signed i don't know how that whole yeah. it's the There's, agreement yeah, yeah that's, and so whenever they used to say like that they're going to gearmit that means that they were going to work but it meant that they were going to fulfill their agreement wow yeah, man. That's why. That's why I asked you. I was just like, I, I was. I wasn't sure if you knew everything about. It, but that's why I was like, oh, is this? Do you think this is offensive? And we've got mixed reviews about that. It's like half and half. It seems like really. Uh, it's half and half. But we mean it from like we're owning it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, with that in mind, there's like a whole like past on like that that whole mentality of gearment you know has not left the culture it seems and mm -hmm. i don't know it's, it's weird i didn't even know it was a thing until recently you know uh mm -hmm. my sister i think we've talked about this before with my sister like you know digging into our genealogy and things like that and our roots and whatnot like just starting to it's it's becoming easier to identify things and it's like like well, all this stuff is kind of new to me too right so i'm kind of learning on the go learning on the job yeah. as you, you will you know so like yeah. uh it's interesting there's all these like things that i didn't even know were things that are very comparable to other marginalized yeah um, people you know like i mean our story of the 60 plus thousand Indians that were taken to uh, Fiji as indentured servants, that, that story mm -hmm. is very much similar to the story of African-Americans, uh, you know, like the same mm -hmm. thing. If, I always tell people like, like just, just as a comparison to make it easier to explain to people, I'm just like, this is very similar to this. I was like, you know how black people are brought over as slaves? Like, I'm, I always say the same thing. I was just like, it's the same with us. Like, we were brought over also in the same manner. And weren't you, or you, um, weren't Tamil people like, <laughs> like my maternal ancestry and <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, <laughs> Weren't, weren't Tamil people brought to Fiji for the sake of working like agriculture and like sugarcane yeah. and things like that? Sugarcane and uh, cotton fields. Apparently, right. apparently as, and then 
I'm not 100% on this. Apparently, the sugarcane thing. So everybody in Fiji was subject to this agreement, too, by the way. Not right. just Indians, also the native people there. So from what I understand, it sounds like the sugarcane harvesting must have been done mostly by the native indigenous people and by, oh, like... Geez. Yeah, and then by what I've heard and read, and also, again, I'm not 100%, so like I don't want people quoting me on this and being like, oh, he said so. Like, uh, We were brought over for cotton, cotton picking, <laughs> apparently. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, so... Not to not to go all Bill Nye on you. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> it's it's weird. So for me, there is really indeterminate lineage there on my on my black. On my, why it's so funny because the British would call South Indian Tamils blacks. They called us blacks when they got there, yeah, but are. obviously we're not like from Africa. We're from South India. Yeah, that's even hard to explain to people. Oh my god! And when my, you start trying to trying to explain the difference between Dravidian people that are indigenous to South India versus yeah. white, like Indo Aryan, and when we say Indo Aryan, the word Aryan here is being used in the anthropological sense, which means Iranian. Yeah, it oh. doesn't mean white, like blonde hair, blue eyed. It means like yeah. Iranian. Ah. Uh. So, like, Aryan means Indo-Iranian people. So saying, like, the Indo-Aryan synthesis hypothesis is already, like, confusing. And it's also not, like, a definitive hypothesis. Like, we don't know that that's the case. We don't know that all the people in North India are necessarily Indo-Iranian. We suspect they are. It's one of the hypotheses to explain it. But, like, there are other competing hypotheses. Anyways, the point is, like, you know, you get some really fair-skinned Indians in North India, and people here see a lot of Bollywood. So they see what is viewed through the lens of colorism as the most beautiful people, which, of course, in India is the lightest-skinned people. Yeah, very much. So, like, you don't fucking see Tamil people very often in Bollywood. That's not a thing you see. You don't. And honestly, we look... I mean... Even I can say, like, we look more tribal-esque. Sorry, I'm looking away. I'm staring at something over there. <laughs> I mean, no, we look, like, on it, like, okay. I mean, we just look I'm, different. Like, I would just say we look different. We, yeah. I mean, we, I, fuck, man. We, like, we look like we're built for the fucking geography of India, to be honest with you. Got it. I see Tamil people, I'm just like, yeah, like we're built to take heat. Like we're built for that land. Like totally. The, you know what I'm saying? Totally. Like, I, I'm like I'm gangly as fuck. Like I can yeah. I can I can do really, really hot climates, but I can't do tons of direct sun, which is really interesting. And well, it could just it could just be that my sister and brother were born in India, but I was born right when my parents got to Canada. Well, I forgot that about your sister and brother. Yeah, so like, like I would have been born in India. It was just like timing. That's I ended up being born in thing Canada. About you, eh? You're half white. Yeah. So the way that I look at it is that I'm is that I'm yeah. part Tamil because whiteness is something 
that for and for me and you're right like i my dad is white but for me when i think about whiteness i think of it as this freedom from being racialized right you get to be the center dominant culture Mm -hmm. and the shitty thing about being if you want to say it the other way half brown is you don't get to be free from racialization so it's like in a sense i get a lot of privilege from my proximity to whiteness right like having lighter skin i get tons of privilege no question but like people still know I'm not white. Like if I were white passing, I would be like, yeah, half white's a totally reasonable thing to say, but I'm just like, I look to most Brown people. Like I should be white passing. It's like, come on, you're basically white. And I'm like, (laughs) totally, totally. And then you get to talking to my like white friends and they're like, what are you talking about? You're super Brown. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. man. the first time when, I don't know. I don't think I thought like I, I was like, "There's no way you're brown." When I first met you, <laughs> our moms were friends or something like that, and I didn't know yeah. that. And then like we knew each other, and like I was like, "There's no way that this is my mom's friend." Like I was like, "That." I can't. <laughs> She's There's my no mom's way. dark There's too. No yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea for a long time. But then when like as soon as like it's like, oh yeah, like you are. I don't know. Now it's like. I can't unsee it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've, I've yeah. to me, and now like, and then ever since I found out that you weren't, which was also like, you know, a week after knowing you. So it wasn't right. a very long time that I thought you were. Right. Like, but like, it's like, Oh shit, of course you're Brown. Like, why the fuck did I, how did I, how did I let that slide? It's like, what? honestly, it's, you're not the Brown only one. Right? Right? Like a lot of my friends of color will read me as whitish, like white enough, light enough. Um, and it depends because people who met me in the winter are more likely, I think, that's just my personal bias. Like I think in my experience, people are more likely to perceive me as white. I'm certainly lighter skinned. And then in the summer, I'm, I darken up a bit. So like me right now, I'm at my lightest because we're in mid, we're at the end of January. I was actually going to say, you look kind of dark right now, but then you got your beard on right now. You definitely look like a brown guy right now. So that's another thing. My beard (laughs) hair. (laughs) Sorry, what? My beard hair gives me away. Yeah, a little bit. And I'm not upset about that. I just find it fascinating. No, you, you got it like really like, like bushy like mine right now like yeah I look, yeah, yeah. Like a, we, i look like a brown guy i haven't been we to the both bar have brown guy beards yeah this is definitely a brown guy covid beard right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah man like you look like right now you look you got your brown going on you get darker than that too eh? oh yeah in the summer i definitely get darker it also could be the lighting too Dark. you burn oh. I Are, so here's here's the shitty thing. I do burn, but like then I tan. Okay, okay. Well, that's all right then. Alternatively, if I'm careful with my skin, I can build up the resilience and never burn. <laughs> Very nice. But it's it's weird being a third culture kind of person because the one thing is how people read you, right? Because like if you're white, you probably don't think too hard or at least formerly didn't think too hard for most of your childhood about how you're read. Like you're not thinking, oh, do people think I'm white? Like that's probably not a question that crosses most white folks' minds from what I've heard from my friends who are white folks. 
In fact, just identifying people who are white by the term white can be very uncomfortable for some of them because they've literally never been racialized in their lives. So you start saying, oh, white people, this white people, that, and you get a lot of people who are really uncomfortable that suddenly you're talking about this idea of race and suddenly they're the one being described and lumped into this big category and you get all these not all white people and like really intense reactions. Yeah, 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 it's like, well, hey, now. Hey now, whoa, whoa, whoa! They don't, they don't speak for all of us. Right. <laughs> hey, 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 man! Let me tell you, all lives matter. All right. All yeah. we need to do is just get along. All right. Fuck. That's all we need to do is just get along. It's like right. If if only fuck. all lives matter. If only all lives matter was a rallying cry to the lives that don't currently matter, then I'd be like, sure, we can get on board with all lives matter. Why don't you start with indigenous and black lives and brown lives? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, can we do that? No. Oh, right. Because you're just on a racist rant right now. Right. It's like there's a house over there on fire and your chief concern is making sure the fire department pumps water equally to every home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly just ridiculous to me but it is what it is so yeah so back on this like third culture thing there's like that whole thing like being red and then being mixed is like its own third culture experience because most like i said like a lot of my brown friends especially growing up because like we grew up in latter there were brown folks (laughs) um but like a lot of them didn't read me as brown and didn't really include me and i didn't speak any brown languages because there was so much whitewashing in my household there was definitely like I mean, I don't know who who's a hundred percent responsible for it. And I'm not like trying to like blame my dad or anything, but there was, there was, in my opinion, a lot of whitewashing. Like, I think my parents, you know, wanted what was best for us. And I think what was best for us came through this lens of, you know, Eurocentrism and prioritizing what we would, what we would learn, like what was important, um, which ceremonies were important like um there were huge fights over my sister going back to india you know when she got her first period to do a ceremony like celebrating that and it's like it's part of her heritage like if if we had enough that we could make it to india to do it and get back it was like a once every you know couple of years kind of thing like if we could save up enough um like my mom would go or my dad would go um usually usually both of them and they would take possibly some of the kids possibly Mm. one one year i went i think i was like five or six and my brother and sister went but it was like we didn't have a lot growing up we we just saved for like what was important to us and going back to india was something that was very important to my mom and my dad um in different ways and so it was like cool she can go why are you so against the idea of the ceremony and it was like there was a lot of like objectification and like that kind of stuff i think if i'm guessing because i don't know my dad's truth um but i think that was primarily where his arguments were coming from i just remember the horrible fighting i remember my parents screaming at each other all the time like top of their lungs losing their shit i remember my mother throwing things i remember her breaking shit in the kitchen in the middle of like rants and screaming and like yeah i mean and none of this sounds probably i'm guessing extreme to you this is like yeah that shit happens. Normal. Sounds, sounds about right. Sounds about right. Sounds about normal. And like, I know that if I said this in front of some of my white friends, they'd be like, holy shit, dude, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, they'd be like, what? Like, didn't, wasn't there like, 
Didn't the police get called? Like, yeah, like it's like yeah. I, I I always struggle to find like who who is who is it that you call? Like who do you right. call? Me? It's like what do you like? There's like oh don't you call somebody? Like who? What? There's a number. There's people to call. Like, right. what? like do you want your baby daddy and only source of income to go to jail? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the irony is, in this case, he wasn't being violent. Yeah. So what do you do when, do you want the, your baby mama and the person who looks after your kids while you're at work to go to jail? Like, no. Yeah. Like, these, these, are, the, these are the practical problems that make, like, like, you have to, like, domestic violence is so complicated, um, but it's also kind of simple. Like, you just, you start small, you start with escape planning, and you go from there. Like, you, you reach out to people at a shelter that supports your gender because it's gendered, unfortunately. Um, but also it's gendered for good reason. You reach out to a shelter and you're like, Hey, I need help with escape planning. At least that's what I would do, but I've never been in a domestic violence situation where I was an adult. (laughs) So I don't actually know. I'm not the best person. Yeah. But anyways, this is just like par for the course. And it's like these sorts of issues, um, you know, like I, fuck, like, I'm so frustrated sometimes by how some of my white friends respond when I talk about this shit, because I've had folks literally like literally say they feel sorry for me. And it's like, I'm not telling you this cause I want your pity. Like what I'm looking for is understanding. And when you show me that you aren't giving me empathy and you aren't willing to consider what my experience is like, it just comes across as condescending. And like, that's not like, I'm not having this conversation so I can be condescended to and pitied. I don't Do you know. ever have where people uh, make it make it so that it, uh, it sorry they uh, blame you for uh, blowing it out of proportion? Oh, it wasn't as bad as you say it was. I so it's funny. I think I've only ever had that a couple of times because I've had pretty good. I've had pretty good. Um, responses like ready to go and people say that because people have definitely said that to me about racism um but they haven't really said it to me about violence when i was a child yeah i've had people say it to me and it's not it's like what like like well you know like kids kids you know kids blow things out of proportion or like blah 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 or you know insert excuse here basically right you know, it's just bullshit. I hate. I don't know. I was. I've had that one. I've had your experience too. I've had several, man. <laughs> positive, to be honest. So yeah, you're preaching to the choir when you talk about things like that. You're like, I'm with yeah, you. I hear you. I'm with you. I'm pissed <laughs> up. Like, I'm you can see it. I think so. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Ash. I really do. I think what's what's nice is. I have always wanted to hear people rant about this on a podcast and I've never heard people rant about this on a podcast. So part of my podcast is just like self it's like masturbatory almost. It's like, I'm just enjoying the podcast that I want. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Sorry, I, didn't, I didn't mean to make you lose it while you were in the middle. Oh man. That was funny. Yeah. Um, so just so folks have context, I, I am South Indian. I am from Tamil Nadu. My mom is very dark. Um, and there's a thing when you have like a dark parent, that's different from being a dark person. And of course, Ash has both of those, but like, 
I got to watch my mom, who is already a place I didn't feel especially safe because there is so much intergenerational trauma, have to cope with extreme racism all the time growing up from like people not believing her kids were her kids. My dad had the same experience. That's just like a mixed problem. Wow, really? So even when we were in... I've never even thought about that. Even when I was in Chennai, I had like people in the streets not believe my mom was my mom like like really? vendors vendors asking like oh so why did you come to india and i'm like oh i'm here with my mom um but of course in you know on tamil when you're when you're saying or if you prefer tamir when you're when you're saying um you know amar appa it's kind of like saying almost sir or madam you kind of like in the same way that like conservatives in the south might call their father sir it's the yeah. same sort of idea. It's like mom and dad are more titles than they necessarily are um, biological truths. So like, yes, you use them that way, but you also don't use them that way. And that causes confusion when you're mixed. So if I'm saying like, I'm here with my mom and uh, I, I'd have to say it in English and I'd have to be very clear. I'd be like, she is my biological mom. And they would look at my mom. They would look at me and they'd be like, no, um, <laughs> I got I got kind of frustrated with a person at a pharmacy at one point because he kept asking and I had already told him and I was like, let's look, why are we still talking about this? And he was like, but she's not like, you know, she's not like your mother. And I was like, I literally said to him, I was like, I came out of her body. Yo, that's such a brown person thing to just continue <laughs> to like deny yeah, and ask and force. <laughs> Like, oh my god have something to eat no i'm not hungry no but you are hungry yeah. hungry i just here have this no trust me like i fucking hate it i know that's like a brown for that dude that that's ridiculous it's it, like it comes... you, want to see, you want to see blood samples man you want to see blood samples <laughs> <laughs> you want to see a dna sequence or something man <laughs> yeah, it's it's frustrating, but it's like it it also it speaks to the amount of insistence on like genetic segregation almost. It's like the notion like for me to have been her child it would have meant that he had to accept that it was possible for like a mixed race couple to happen to produce a kid and for them to be somehow successful and for that kid to now be English speaking, foreign educated <laughs> and in the country. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something that probably he couldn't. Like, I I think it broke his brain. Yeah, I think it did hurt his brain. I can see. Yeah, when I talk to really old school brown people, I could see how their brain hurts just talking yep. to me. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I could, you know, it's just like, yeah, you just don't get it. So we- for that in a time before in where yeah. this was in India, he said. So like my sister was conceived in 79 in 78. She was born in 79. Yeah. So in 1978 for an, a South Indian, like very dark Brown woman to be sleeping with a white guy and getting pregnant with a white guy. There's a reason we don't talk to half of our Brown family. Yeah. Yeah. But, I know that's uh it's exile on you, exile on your cow. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's 
that's the third cult. That's like the third culture experience that I've had in a nutshell is like more of that mixed experience of like, well, my white grandmother was from a small village in England. And when my mom and my dad came here, my mom had to experience tons of racism there. Yeah. And like understandable in a sense, like this would have been 1986, 1985 when they first got here. And like 85, you're dealing with a British mother-in-law who's like, you're having sex with my son. Like, it's already difficult enough to deal with your mother-in-law. But all of a sudden, you know, she's an English woman from, you know, small, small town. And she's dealing with this very, very dark person who is now her daughter-in-law. Like, you can imagine how racism came to a head pretty quickly between them and created some serious conflict. But, you know, you might be quite happy to know that years later after they'd moved through it, my mom and my grandmother were actually pretty close, which is really a testament to their willingness to get past their prejudice. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's good news. Yeah, I found a letter which almost feels wrong to share, but in a sense, one of them's dead and I don't think my mom would care. But there is a letter written from my grandmother that I will never forget because it was literally like a a dear Sarah. I am so deeply sorry to hear through, you know, the grapevine basically, um, how difficult like our relationship has been for you and like i'm i'm really sorry and i'd really just like to start over would that be okay like one of those kind of letters oh nice and i remember i remember reading it with my brother and sister there we just found it in like a whole bunch of things right like like discarded like um member like what do they even call they're not souvenirs they're like they're not memorabilia (laughs) artifacts ephemera I, I don't know what that means. Look it up. I actually just <laughs> learned this word. I just learned this word like a couple of months ago. And okay. this is the exact thing for it. It's oh, it's exactly what it is. Is ephemera? Yeah, yeah it's E-P-H. No, ephemera, right? E-P-H- yeah, that sounds right. E-M-R-A, ephemera. Am I saying that? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, check it out, man. That's a word. That's what, you're, that's what you were going through. Amazing. You were going through ephemera. <laughs> Oh, it's like an emotional experience. Well, like the stuff you were going oh, the, the through. The stuff like, are ephemera. Stuff. Got it. I was yeah, going like through ephemera. Grandmother's stuff. Yeah. But I think like the emotional stuff is a part of going Got through. It. Yeah. I'm not going to tell people how I know that because they're going to be <laughs> That's like, okay. oh, what a dork. But, <laughs> you know, if anybody watches NCIS, <laughs> they know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyways do go on no that that's pretty much it um basically like the third culture experience is one we could talk about for hours but you know we kind of started chatting a little bit about being from a place in like a, a heritage sense being from a place in a like i was born here sense and then being from a place in and i was raised here sense and like a lot of a lot of folks that we grew up with had all those things in one neat little package. They were Mm -hmm. from Ladner. They were, you know, heritage wise in the sense that the last five generations or three generations, they were from Ladner. So for all recent memory, they couldn't really remember their heritage. And if they did remember their heritage, it was like, cool, I'm Scottish and we have a tartan. Or it was like, I'm English and we have a family crest. Or it was like, you know, like they had their heritage, they were proud of it, but it was very distant and they were very, very connected with the ground and culture they were raised on. Whereas when I was raised here, 
I mean, I kind of got a little bit of that privilege with my dad. Like we're from the salmon's moving and storage company. Like that's what my, you know, great grandfather started. And I have a picture of him, you know, riding down Hastings with my grandfather as like a, a baby boy when Hastings was a dirt road on like a horse drawn. So like I got that ludicrous white story on one side. Really? But then I'm dead serious. No, it's so weird. Salmon's moving thing. I didn't know how deep it was. Yeah. And Salmon's transfer as well. Like we had a couple of companies, but we sold them, of course, like in my grandfather's generation, because, you know, his three kids were a priest, a hippie and my dad. And none of them (laughs) were going to take on the business. Oh, geez. Really? So he sold it. He gave it. He basically sold it for very much undervalued to one of his employees who just like cared about the. I mean, I don't even know if he did care about the company, but presumably that's how the story goes. That he just really liked this employee and was like, you know, you have a family now and like you could use a break and like, I don't need this anymore. If you want it (laughs) kind of sold it to them for not that much. Same thing with their house on Crescent Beach. They sold their house on Crescent Beach for like 60 grand. (laughs) like if any of that shit was still in the family it'd be worth so much money but such is life yeah that's interesting i actually was was used to be friends with a guy whose family owned the competitors for salmon oh neat yeah i forget what they were called but uh yeah last i heard Hammonds is still very much alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why they have contracts with some of the oldest places in the city, like UBC and such. Um, yeah. They've just been around a really long time. But we don't need to talk about promoting a business <laughs> I don't own. Sorry, we were just like talking about random stuff now. But anyway, we're also yeah. talking about heritage. Like we're talking about things that resonate with us as pieces of ourself and how okay. weird it is to be estranged from that. It's It's almost like there's intergenerational trauma that leads you to the inevitability of where you are. And like most people have that, like most people have some degree of trauma in their families and that's okay. But like, there's like little T trauma and then there's like big T trauma. Like it's not just like, you know, like a person got mugged or beaten up. It's like, you know, it's, it's probably something more on the level of like, you know, my parent was in a war and has PTSD You know, it's kind of like my parent was treated like a second class citizen their whole life and has PTSD, right? Because like people think about, quote unquote, how sensitive we are about racism. And when I say we, I mean non-white folks. Um, And they don't say that in the same breath that they would say, you know, veterans are sensitive, quote unquote, about PTSD or like survivors of sexual assault are sensitive, putting air quotes around it. Um, you know, about references to sexual assault. It's like, yes, of course, because of trauma, (laughs) like racism is traumatic and people don't get that. No, they don't get it at all. They don't get it. No, because it doesn't happen to them. They can't relate to it because it doesn't happen to them. So they just don't even see it as it's a non-issue. Yeah. I literally, I've had white folks tell me that I need to stop giving words power and like blame me for and literally all i did was like hey i mean you need to stop giving words power like what they're basically like stop being hurt by me using this racist word so basically they're saying (laughs) i want to keep using this yes stop stop being a quote-unquote pussy about it 
and just sure he didn't he didn't say that but yes no 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 but that's what like he's thinking in his head for sure he's you know what man like you i've seen that look on so many people's face you could just see it in their eyes like you're just like i know exactly what you're thinking in your head you're going shut up you pussy nobody gives a fuck about your bullshit we all got problems blah 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 blah, you know like right just that you and it's like their exact and i use that those words like because those are the literal exact words that are going through their mind man i swear sure probably for some of them yeah I've heard those exact words come out of people's mouth. Stop being, you know, yeah, you know, you know, whatever. Sure. Whatever BS word. Like I swear, it's so. Or like, they tell you to man up, or more appropriately, toughen up. Yeah, so basically, never really heard that one. It's more. So, it's always been like a derogatory and not. Right. So saying man up or toughen up has an element of like you know, hey, I got your back to it. I suppose. Oh, you know, uh, to ain't no more, I don't know, off topic anyways. Sure. So basically the person had called me a savage and, and this was over like me doing really well in a video game. So like he meant it well, he just used a fairly racist word in my opinion for it. Um, and I was like, Hey, could you, um, could you just not call me a savage? Like, okay, thanks. Like, yeah. Like just, just don't call me that and all of this white fragility and defensiveness happened like it was literally like i was trying to do this i was trying to do this call in one-on-one super polite super calm i was doing all the emotional labor because i like this person like they're part of my like inner circle and it sort of led to this really i don't want to say falling out because like i'm we're still like pleasant with each other, but like he basically doesn't really talk to me anymore. And it, it led to like him posting definitions for the word savage in like general chat on that server. And I was like face palming the whole time. Like, okay, here's a link to Robin D'Angelo's white fragility. If you want to start linking resources <laughs> to each other. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. It was a fucking tire fire. But that's the thing is like, you just, it's so hard to have these conversations outside of like with white folks outside of a POC only space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's literally a book about it called why I don't talk about race with white people. <laughs> uh, There's literally a book. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I but, like pretty much have that policy you know not like i don't know if you know you, you there's the odd time you meet like um a white person who's super like understanding and wants to listen but like i pretty sure. much the policy of just like just don't bother the way yeah. that i handle it is like if a person's asking me questions yeah. and they're and they're being genuine they're like asking in good faith and they seem like they are a person that i care about like that's a big qualifier too if they're a rando it's like go read a book other mm. people have written books about this i don't need to spend this emotional labor if there's someone i love someone i care about yeah i'll take the time to call them in when they say something racist i'll like i'll take the time to talk to them about that stuff but you gotta yeah. ask questions for sure yeah 
But yep. like, are they telling you or are they asking you, right? Like yeah. if a white person's telling me how racism is, I'm like, this isn't going to go well. If a white person's asking me what my experience is, if I have the spoons, I will share it. But like, they're asking about trauma. I mm-hmm. think they just need to get that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've talked for 40 minutes about third culture stuff and race stuff. Did you want to end this episode here and maybe we'll do another one? Oh, man. I'm down. Yeah, I'm done uh, too. It's been, it's, it's actually nice to talk about traumatic stuff with someone who gets it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For me too, man. It's good. Like, there's not enough people who actually want to spend the time to listen to a full conversation, like listen to right. just listen instead of listen to just like, you know, have some response or opinion. So that's the great thing about a podcast is people get the inside intimate view of what we would actually say to each other if no one else was in the room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? And very few white folks are going to get that experience when it comes to brown issues. Yeah, 100%. So how was it, Intimates? Let us know on Patreon or start a discussion on Facebook. And if you want to keep being super awesome, you can help us out by going and leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Social proof like that helps so much. You can also just tap share on this episode and send it to someone you think might like it. Thanks so much for helping build the community and the show. I look forward to chatting with you on Discord or writing back and forth on Patreon. The intro music was Show Me, the instrumental version by Josh Woodward, and this outro music is Arrival by How the Night Came. Thank you so much.